Hello, and welcome to the Sustainability Skillset Podcast, a show where we explore careers in sustainability and the skills to help you succeed. I'm glad you're here. If you are passionate about sustainability and hungry to learn, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Louis Damaso, a sustainability consultant and young sustainability professional learning right along with you. I am thrilled to be speaking with Megan Saunders today. Megan is the director of ESG at Kane Anderson Real Estate, a private equity firm that manages over $14 billion in assets. They focus on medical offices, high-end senior housing, off-campus student housing, multifamily properties, and self-storage. Megan has 15 years of experience in sustainability strategy and implementation, including developing corporate goals, overseeing projects, and building partnerships to drive systems change. She has held sustainability roles in corporate, consulting, nonprofit, and startup environments. She is also a real estate investor herself. For example, she was previously the director of sustainability at Lendlease in their communities business. She helped implement their decarbonization strategy for a large portfolio of 40,000 homes and 12,000 hotel rooms. She also used the TCFD framework to assess the climate-related risks of their portfolio, among other achievements. She spent five years as a sustainability project manager at Vidaris in New York City, leading design and construction teams to achieve LEED certification, assess greenhouse gas emissions, and improve energy efficiency. She was also the founding executive director of the Stanford 2030 District, a public-private partnership aiming to reduce energy use, water use, and transportation emissions in the city of Stanford, Connecticut. Megan regularly speaks at events on decarbonizing real estate and managing ESG risk. She was recently recognized by the Environment and Energy Leader publication as one of the top 100 individuals driving innovation in energy management and environmental stewardship. Megan is passionate about creating high-performance buildings that benefit people and the planet. She is here to share her insights and best practices on how to advance ESG in real estate. Please join me in welcoming Megan Saunders to the show. Hi, Megan. Can we start by diving into what you do at work every day and how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. So I joined Kane Anderson Real Estate as the first director of ESG about nine months ago. My role here is really about setting the strategy for ESG across the real estate firm and leading a team to implement measures to make our real estate assets and our organization more sustainable. Um, in order to do that, I work every day with our partners, our operating partners, our tenants, our employees to really find opportunities to create a positive impact on those communities where we operate and then report all of that that great progress back to our investors. And we do all of this while generating attractive risk-adjusted returns for our investors. That's great. So could you describe a little bit about your history and, and how you got into this role? Yeah. So I guess I'll go sort of way back. As you've sort of clearly outlined, I've been in the field for a while and, and I've had multiple experiences that sort of led me to be where I am today. But for me, it actually starts really early on and sort of my upbringing and in my childhood. I actually grew up with my dad, who was a contractor. And some of my earliest memories are actually being on a construction site with him with my little pink tool belt and tool kit and just kind of working alongside him and, and, you know, learning how to build with my own two hands. And, but the area that I lived in when I was growing up was uh, quickly developing. Um, I actually grew up in New Jersey and realized that um, it was having an impact on environmental resources. So there's a lot of conversation about, you know, the local aquifers weren't able to recharge. And so it was impacting water resources. And so our local government started to put restrictions, um, on development in that area. And so 
um, I basically started asking my dad, who again was a builder, a lot of questions about, you know, efficient construction and how do we use better materials? And essentially through that process, learned that there was a better way to build, that we could have less of an impact on the environment. And I decided that I wanted to make that my career and I really wanted to learn how to do that. So um, all of that experience in my upbringing essentially led me to get a master's degree in urban planning. Um, since really sustainability was not a thing back then, there weren't really, you know, uh, education educational options for sustainability like there are right now, which is amazing. Um, and so I studied urban planning and really tried to understand, you know, how do we, how do we build better? How do we balance, you know, people, planet, profit and everything that we do. I bet you don't have the opportunity to don your construction belt too much anymore. Do you? No, I don't. I wish I still had it actually, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn back then? Um, and as you've, as you've, progress throughout your career that helps you today in your current role? Yeah, I will say, so um, I've certainly been in a variety of roles throughout my career, which I sort of see that as as part of my superpower, right? I've, I've started my career in consulting, um, got to kind of dive deep into what it takes to actually make a building green. Um, I ran a nonprofit for a while and worked pretty closely with large organizations to understand how they were setting their goals and how to track their goals and how to, how to use best practices to essentially, you know, reduce energy, water waste in your buildings. Um, I had a short stint actually as a real estate broker. Um, I also worked in the incentive space. So learned a lot about, you know, utility incentives, what's out there from the federal, local governments, utilities, et cetera. Um, and then worked for a large global real estate developer. So, so learned a lot about, you know, construction and, and, you know, what are the key materials that we need to be focusing on and things like that. And so throughout my career, I really gained that unique perspective of sitting in sort of every seat across the table of a real estate transaction. And that allows me in my everyday, as we're thinking about, you know, strategizing, whether it's, you know, creating a, um, a new goal or working on implementing a process, um, throughout the organization to really integrate ESG into how we're thinking, or even at the asset level, I'm able to sort of put on every one of those hats each day and think about what are the, you know, what are the drivers from each of those, those uh, perspectives um, to hopefully create, you know, a better outcome that achieves everyone's goals. That's great. It sounds like the ability to communicate across those different functions and bring those different types of actors together in these deals is an important aspect of your job. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. I would say that's been, you know, sort of two things. One, effective communication and collaboration are really what's important um, in terms of skill sets of, of sustainability professionals and getting, getting your job done, right? You have to both be extremely technical, but also talk to people like they're 12. And for the record, you know, everyone I work with is very sophisticated. So I don't have to do that, but I learned really early on that, you know, I, I would be sitting at the table on any given day and really even today, you know, with, a mechanical engineer and talking about like what SEER rating are you using on your HVAC system, but also translating that back to an investor, to the public to say, here's a level of efficiency we achieved. Here's the amount of costs that are reduced. Um, 
for our asset or for a portfolio. Um, and so I, I even think back to like my early days when I was in graduate school and was doing group, group presentations. Right. And so it's all about like getting everybody on the bus getting everybody on board, you know, everybody has a role. Um, and so that's really that collaboration piece, but then getting out in front of people and sharing your story, which is so important. Um, you know, both personally in terms of building your own brand, but also, you know, enhancing, um, the story from what you're doing from your organization and sharing that with investors and peers alike. Yeah. Being able to take that message, um, of the technical details of these different roles and then communicate it across and, um, share the benefits that the group is achieving sounds like a really important aspect of it. Could you describe yeah. a little bit more about the, the types of conversations you're having with, um, some of these different actors, like what types of, um, projects and improvements yeah. are you are you focused on achieving so we are working with a partner at the moment to build a new um a new development a multifamily development and so um just to give you sort of an example of like how I work every day with these teams. So I'm working with, you know, our internal design and construction team who is sort of tracking to make sure anything that we're identifying in terms of efficiency measures get, get included and incorporated in that building. Um, I'm certainly working directly with the, the engineers on the project to say, Hey, you know, what level of efficiency can we treat achieve while while again, you know, balancing that, um, our highest priority is, is returns for our investors. Um, so again, working with like fund managers to make sure we're meeting all of our targets along the way. Um, working with, uh, partnerships on the social side. So any kind of programming that we might be bringing to residents. So continuing to develop, to develop partnerships and, and figuring out ways to, um, implement them. And, and that also involves working with operating partners, right. To make sure they're aware of our goals and how can we find alignment together where we're both achieving what we want, which is, you know, getting higher occupancy and basically, you know, getting the, the building leased out to the place that we want it to be. So that's just one example example. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things that I do. Um, I will say the phrase of, you know, leading from the boiler room to the boardroom is directly applicable because on, on any given day, um, you know, having conversations both at the asset level and then, you know, back up to sort of the investor board level and, and using that opportunity to talk about what we're doing, um, every day on our portfolio. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of priorities to manage. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, but that's what makes it fun and exciting. Yeah. So could you describe what you like most about your job? I will say what I like most is that I get to work with almost everyone in the organization. Um, you know, my role involves working with legal teams to make sure they understand, you know, what we're doing at the asset level. We're certainly working with our data teams to track the performance of our assets, um, working with asset management on, you know, sort of the day-to-day -day operations and how we can improve there and looking at capital expenditures and working with our deal teams to integrate, you know, processes. So ESG is, is incorporated into everything we're doing when, you know, we're buying and selling assets. Um, and so, that's really fun because I get to collaborate a lot. And I will say sort of the downside of that is that there's not a whole lot that I can do just by myself. Um, I tell the, my team all the time, we could, we could easily, you know, sit in a room and just make decisions on our own, but 
having that sort of collective buy-in um, and, you know, experience from how other people are getting their jobs done is really important to making a process that at the end of the day is successful and that everyone can follow and actually gets implemented. It sounds like you enjoy the challenge of working with these different actors and trying to bring together different perspectives. Is that right? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, you know, it, it definitely adds time to the process. Um, you know, nothing happens overnight, to be clear. But um, yeah, it, it's all about collaboration and, and getting multiple parties involved. Do you have any tips or lessons you've learned over the years on how to foster that collaboration between different actors that you're interacting with throughout these projects? Yeah, I would say generally reach out and talk to everyone. Um, you know, part of my role is just making sure that I understand what's happening on all sides of the business. So being in communication with, you know, folks from the deal team to the asset management teams, um, you know, understanding what's happening at the fund level and really being able to speak the language of all of those people and understand what are their key concerns. You know, ESG at the end of the day is really about um, measuring, you know, social and environmental risk across the organization and then finding those opportunities to make an impact. And so it's important that you really understand what are the risks and what are people balancing in each of their roles, right? So someone from legal has a very different uh, idea of, of what risk is than someone from the deal team. And so it's finding, you know, that balance of how can we meet both of their meet, their needs and also, you know, be working towards this sustainable future. Definitely. It's interesting that we mentioned risk because that's something that comes up so often that um, a lot of managing ESG and sustainability is about managing risk. And yet we also talked about impact earlier. So there's two sides of this coin to the great things that you guys are doing, both helping internally to manage those types of risks, but also creating positive impact, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I will say, you know, from the built environment perspective, that might be different than, you know, what other corporations are looking at. And so, you know, on the E side and on the environmental, we're really looking at reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And so that boils down to how do we make our buildings more efficient um, and find ways to reduce gas usage? You know, the built environment accounts for about 40 percent of global carbon emissions. And so that's really the biggest challenge of our time. On the social side, you know, really it focuses on human rights and equity. And so our work is really focused on relationships with people and our policies that impact our tenants, our employees, and our vendors. Um, and I would say in the built environment, health and wellness is, is a really big part of that, um, since that's, you know, a large component of the, of the folks who, you know, live in and operate our buildings. And then finally, on the governance side, you know, really, it's about ensuring that we have corporate practices um, that are aligned with industry standards. And in real estate, a lot of that is focused on, you know, our supply chain and our vendor relationships. So you talked about how you've worked across many different types of roles, consulting, nonprofit. You even started that Stanford 2030 district. Um, could you describe a little bit about the differences between those types of roles that you've encountered over the years? And how those um, and how those differences kind of have contributed to your current skill set? Yeah, I will say that they allowed me to have those experiences of both being really technical and really broad, which I've mentioned before. So um, I'll I'll give an example of um, 
some of my early work as a lead consultant, which, you know, I was basically fresh out of school. Um, I had gotten my master's degree. And so I had a good understanding of real estate development and how it worked, but um, not as much in terms of integrating, you know, sustainability across an asset. And so I learned during that time that I really needed to be able to get technical, right? I was sitting every day at a table with with engineers and architects and developers and building owners and needed to be able to, you know, get into the weeds essentially, but also have the ability to have a bird's eye view of the project. And so during that time, I actually went and pursued a um, certificate um, in HVAC design because I realized that in order to really help to make change and understand what essentially what everyone at the table was talking about that I really needed to understand, you know, the building systems. Um, and I think that was pretty pivotal in my career because even today it allows me to, you know, have those same conversations, get sort of technical in the weeds with people. Um, so back to the question is that, you know, one being really technical is really important. And I think, you know, in any, field of sustainability that you're going into, you need to be, in, to some extent, a subject matter expert, right? And so that early experience for me allowed me to do that. And then I was able to branch off, you know, when I ran a nonprofit, it was it was super high level, right? It was now I'm engaging with corporations and how are you setting your goals and what are you tracking? And so it was a very different perspective on, um, you know, what the priority was from, you know, the corporate level. Um, as a designer, we were, you know, we wanted to make the building both aesthetically pleasing, but also sustainable. And so I focused a lot on things like solar and how do you integrate, um, programming into, um, schools, because that's what I was focusing on at the time that, you know, helped to educate students on being more sustainable. So again, those lessons learned are more about how we, how we approach our operating partners, how we approach our, our tenants and our partnerships and things like that. And then, you know, from the incentive side, it really opened my eyes up to, you know, the amount of funding that's available out there um, that can basically make a project pencil um, if you go out and, you know, you pursue and understand what what um, what the dollars are that are available in a certain area. Um, so I would say, you know, all of those experiences and including, you know, working for a development firm and and having to do all of this across a very large portfolio have very well prepared me for my current role, um, which honestly involves all of those things. You know, I'm managing consultants to get the technical work done on our projects. Um, I'm working to meet corporate goals and understanding what our peers are doing and how to track them. Um, you know, certainly we also want our buildings to be aesthetically desirable to increase um, leasing. Um, and so really every one of those things has has helped me um, in my in my current day to day. So I would say, you know, encourage people to get involved in lots of things, but also really um, find opportunities to dive deep because it's important to be um, both really technical and really broad. It's clear how the different experiences you've had have built up to this um, comprehensive skill set that allows you to manage across these different roles. And I, I really like that you mentioned the term subject matter expert because it's come up a few times in that um, sustainability is such a broad topic that if somebody wants to get into sustainability, often the question is, well, what does that even mean in terms of my career? What because there's so many different fields that you can get into, you can apply sustainability to almost any industry and almost any role. 
But what it really can come down to is what field can you be a subject matter expert in and then apply that sustainability lens? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, there's lots of opportunities out there, depending on what you're interested in, right? Maybe you're interested in fashion or have a desire to learn more about supply chains. And so having experience in a role like that, I think lends really well to jumping into sustainability. I know there's a lot of folks out there that are sort of trying to break into this field, but there's so many different um, roles that essentially lend themselves to getting into sustainability. I think the key is taking whatever it is that you're already a subject matter expert in or want to become a subject matter expert in and, and applying that sustainability lens, right? How can you do that and then also make a positive impact either on you know environmental or social metrics? Um, and maybe if your current organization isn't focused on that, you know, find ways to sort of raise your hand and, and study those opportunities that present um, some of those options and working together, you know, with peers at your company to do that. That's so important. That's awesome. So you've shared that climate risk and resilience have been a common theme throughout your career. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I think right now, given so many things happening in the world, that's, you know, obvious that it's front and center for a lot of people, but I personally had some direct experience because I've lived in various cities that had major climate events. Um, so I've, I've moved quite a bit throughout my career, but I, I've lived in New York City during Superstorm super Sandy. I moved to Houston like a month before Hurricane Harvey hit. Um, I was in Nashville right before um, an EF3 tornado hit just like a block from my house and actually moved to Florida recently a month before Hurricane Ian hit. So people Which joke. I think with, is impeccable. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say people joke with me that wherever I move, extreme weather events happen. But the reality is it's happening in a lot of places or maybe I'm just lucky. I'm not sure. But the experience of having lived through all of those events has allowed me to really see firsthand the impact that climate change can have on communities. You know, we talk every single day about climate risk on our assets and making them more resilient. And that's so incredibly important. But having lived through those events, you know, I saw people come together, you know, after those events that really allowed those communities to thrive and survive. And really even before the event, right? Like the, the places where I lived and people were knocking on doors and telling you, Hey, you know, there's a big hurricane coming tomorrow, or, you know, the tornado is about to happen, which by the way, I had no warning from because I was brand new. I'd lived in Nashville for about three weeks at the time. And I didn't even know tornadoes were a risk there. Um, but all that to say, you have to balance both the physical aspect of, you know, climate risk, but also the people component. Um, you know, the, the communities that are able to survive and thrive after an event like that are those where, you know, neighbors know each other where they're they're located in more walkable communities where they where they're more connected because they've had more opportunity to reach out and you know make friends with their neighbors and so for me that's something i've been really passionate about which is you know creating both resilient you know tenants and communities as well as resilient buildings because i think both are extremely important that is an incredible story and it's I can tell how those experiences may have influenced your passion for this, um, for this industry over time. You mentioned resilience and it can be this word that's very vague in some contexts. Could you maybe describe a little bit about how in your industry and in our, um, in build green buildings, how resilience is applied practically? 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, resilience is, is basically finding opportunities to make uh, an asset more likely to withstand, you know, one of those extreme events or even just, you know, the regular events that we're having, you know, on day to day basis, like, um, you know, flooding events that happen just because of, you know, major rainfalls. Um, and so, you know, we work with our teams to develop a process so that we can, one, understand what the risk is. So, you know, there's not the same level of risk at every asset. You know, we're looking at everything from how will sea, lo- sea level rise impact an asset, you know, things like wildfires and, you know, a wide range of risks. And then asking the questions about what kind of resiliency measures do we have in place? So, um, you know, finding ways to harden the building, um, you know, are we looking at something extreme like floodgates or are we looking at, you know, better stormwater drainage so that the water can easily and quickly get off site. Um, and so all of that is integrated directly into our processes. So we, we understand, you know, based on the risks that are, uh, relevant at the property, do we have resiliency measures in place? And some of that is not just, you know, making sure the building has the right systems, like, you know, appropriate siding or roofing to, you know, prevent more risks from wildfires and things like that. But it's actually working with operating partners to say, what are your maintenance plans? Are we making sure we trim our trees back so that if a fire happens, it's not going to set the building on fire. Um, What does our emergency management planning look like in case there is an issue? And so it's all about finding those ways that, you know, we can maintain our operations as an organization, that our buildings um, withstand these events, and certainly that our, you know, our tenants are not impacted um, when they happen. Um, since, you know, the world that we live in is that this happened, this is happening, um, you know, all over the place, um, depending on the location, you know, different risks. Those are some great examples of the um, ways that you integrate environmental resiliency into buildings and how those can protect the building and its inhabitants from potential events. I'm curious about the people component you mentioned as well, because that might be a topic that people think about at least less explicitly when it comes to resilience and climate and all that. So um, if you could share any examples of that or just your perspective, that would be great. Yeah, I will say when I think about that, I get flashbacks of my time uh, in planning school and how do you develop communities that are really made for the people who live there. And so a lot of that comes down to designing buildings and communities where those connections are obvious. So, you know, a community that has more sidewalks and bike trails and more opportunities to have those uh, chances to sort of bump into your neighbors is sort of first and foremost, right? So we look at things like our walk scores and our bike scores across our assets to be able to measure those things. Um, but then also providing um, opportunities in terms of social programming and and also physical spaces um, where, you know, people can get to know their neighbors, but also, you know, become more resilient themselves um, because they're more connected to their communities. Um, They're also being provided, you know, services that help them continue to thrive. And so those are, those are the types of things that we're thinking about, you know, to make sure that um, the residents uh, continue to thrive in their communities. Um, I will say a specific example, um, 
that I've used in the past is looking at even certifications to help promote these things. So there's there's several health and wellness certifications out there um, for buildings that sort of measure these things and emphasize these things. So things like well and fit well um, would be a good way to sort of benchmark a community to say, you know, do we have those features amongst our building that really, um, you know, promote health and wellness for our residents, but essentially help us look at all of those key features to make our, our buildings um, our, and our, our folks that live in them more resilient. It's great that there are certifications that exist for these types of things. And I assume that they really help bring um, some organization and some process to how these types of factors are evaluated. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and and I would add to that, you know, a way for us to sort of celebrate achievements and um, bring that back to, you know, our peers and our investors to show, you know, more explicitly how we're performing. Um, and so agreed, it's good to have sort of a checklist of what are the types of things that we can do in our individual assets um, to make them, you know, healthy, more environmentally friendly, more uh, socially equitable, et cetera. Yeah. Well, it's exciting for me personally to hear about buildings being designed this way. Uh, I've certainly had experiences of living in apartment buildings where I don't even get to know my neighbors and it just feels very isolating. So the idea of having buildings and spaces that are designed more for connecting people and bringing people together sounds fantastic. Yeah, definitely. So we're thinking about how people can... um, for other people who are excited about this and might want to work in your space, thinking about how they can get into it. Um, you had mentioned that you got a master's degree at a uh, master's of city planning and regional planning from Rutgers university. Could you describe a little bit about how that's affected your career and whether or not you think that that's necessary, important, or recommended for somebody who wants to get into the work that you do? Yeah, I will say it was important for me at the time because I was really just starting out my career. And by getting the master's degree, it really gave me credibility and and understanding how real estate development worked. Um, I actually focused specifically on housing and real estate when I was getting my master's degree. And that way, when I started my career, I at least had a basis level of understanding of, of how that worked to be able to get a job in green building consulting, which is essentially what I was doing. Um and and also it really helped me understand you know what are the economics of real estate and how does development work and being able to have some credibility um in in that space I would say for other people starting out, um, you know, as I mentioned, I think anyone can really get into sustainability. And my advice is to, you know, find your niche or, or build your brand. You know, being a generalist is really good in the concepts because sustainability generally is pretty broad. But if you can specialize in a sector and then, you know, get technical, that really is what gives you a glide path to career growth. So again, that can be in, in quite a few number of fields. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of pathways to getting into it. It goes back to that, that, that idea of becoming a subject matter expert that we were talking about earlier, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and, and I will say, so from the built environment perspective, I, since I was uh, working as a green building consultant, I, I learned a lot about lead and I was essentially implementing that across many buildings. And so studying and getting my lead AP was really important. And I look back at that experience pretty fondly because it allowed me 
to really understand what are all the factors that imp uh, impact a building um, from the environmental and social perspective. So it, it emphasized, you know, what do you need to do to make the building more efficient? What do you need to do to make, you know, the materials better and less impactful um, to the tenants and to the environment? Um, and really understand sort of all of the components. Um, and so I recommend that that is sort of a good starting place when I talk to people either, you know, doing a lead AP or the lead green associate to give you sort of the basics if you're looking to get into sustainability in the built environment. That's a great, that's some great advice. And for listeners who might be unaware, lead is L-E-E-D. And um, could you describe kind of just the certification you went, you went and took some training and and now what is now what is the result of that yeah and so lead stands for leadership and energy and environmental design um but it's essentially a certification that allows you to sort of benchmark your building but also you know gain accolades for how high performing and how its ability to incorporate all of these features um which has the potential to you know help increase um tenancy of that building and attract um folks to want to be part of that as more and more companies have esg and sustainability goals and want to be located in place um, that reflect their own values, essentially. And so LEED has multiple categories. It covers everything from, you know, water efficiency, energy efficiency, materials, you know, what kind of location are you in? Is, you know, is there a lot of public transit and, and is easy to get around? And is it connected to that local environment? Um, and a variety of other things. And so since it looks at so many different areas, it provides a really good pathway to say, um, you know, my building needs um, some level of, of each of these items. And it's really balanced in terms of, um, you know, being able to show that it's creating environmental and social impact and, and hopefully, you know, performing more um, operationally efficient than, you know, uh, peer buildings. It covers so many aspects that that sounds incredible. And I would I love seeing the lead plaques when I walk in modern buildings and um, knowing that the building was designed intentionally in that way. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's for. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that you also um, have some GRI certifications. Is that right? I do. Um, I, I studied the GRI system many years ago as part of my role of really understanding what drives corporations to set larger sustainability goals and then also how do they report on it um, and so GRI is really about understanding the materiality of of what's important to an organization and then how to report it and you know the importance of auditing those reports and so it really gave me um, a first uh, level of insight into you know how are organizations assessing and prioritizing and therefore reporting you know ESG and and related risk um, and I will say you know for me it's set a really good baseline, you know, a, another part of my role is, um, you know, reporting out all of our progress on ESG in both our annual report and, you know, talking pretty regularly to investors and providing, you know, investor um, reporting on everything we do. And so um, it's, it's one tool to really understand, you know, what's important and how to distill some of those really minute things that we talk about every day into, um, into, you know, essentially what people are looking for in terms of, again, you know, providing returns, um, looking at operational efficiency of our assets and, you know, how are we essentially um, 
creating impact across our portfolio. It's good to hear that the GRI certification and the framework continues to be useful for you. I can say for sure that in the sustainability consulting world, um, in my experience, the GRI and just the, the process of materiality in general is a really important first step. And materiality can be a confusing word and maybe one that a lot of people haven't heard before, but it really comes down to prioritization, right? And figuring exactly. out what the company is what's most valuable for the company to focus on first would you exactly and where and where you can have the most impact and where where you have the most risk essentially right um and it, it depends on every organization in terms of what what types of assets they're looking at or you know where they're located globally and so all of those things come into consideration um when we identify where we really put our focus because a company can't focus on everything at once that's right. I wish we could, <laughs> but we can't always do that. Depending on the size of the sustainability team. Yes, but, exactly. Yes, yeah, exactly. So being able to make those, um, those choices on the, the most important initiatives, the most important projects to follow is an important first step to really being able to achieve the, the greatest impact with um, the resources that are available. Right. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. And I will say, since you brought up team, I just wanted to mention, you know, another thing that I think is really important is having, you know, a team that also can balance some of those skill sets and be able to um, help really drive and implement some of those measures. And so on my team in particular, um, I have someone that's sort of focused more on the asset management side and the day-to-day -day who really helps us with things like, you know, all of our reporting and submissions um, to various sources. And so having, you know, the experience of really understanding how the buildings operate on a day-to-day -day basis is really, really important. Um, and so I think that's a really nice balance with, you know, folks on my team who are more, um, from the engineering side and sort of design and construction who are really able to, you know, spearhead the projects and make sure we're shepherding them throughout, you know, design and construction and, and to get them implemented. So I think, you know, balancing both of those things is really important when you're thinking about, you know, specific roles and building out a team. Absolutely. It sounds like you have a good team behind you. I do. I'm very lucky. <laughs> so you have participated in lots of public speaking and kind of public engagements throughout your career, which is impressive. Um, could you describe a little bit about maybe your journey with public speaking and any, any um, lessons you've learned in terms of how those engagements go and preparing for those types of engagements? Yeah, sure. Um, I will say I feel like early on in my career, um, I sort of got thrown into some of those opportunities, just given the roles that I was in. But I learned really quickly that that speaking publicly about what you're doing is a really big part of sustainability and sharing the story of what your organization is doing and also really building your brand. So I personally never had any formal training in it. And so my, my key to success really is about actually raising my hand more um, and finding more opportunities to do it because the only way you get better is by practicing essentially. Um, and now it's become a quite regular part of what I do every day because it's really important to share those stories of, of what we're doing and how we're improving our assets um, and, you know, sharing with our peers and finding better ways to connect because quite honestly, you know, this, 
this field is rapidly evolving. And so it's really important for me to, you know, have a pulse on what what's going on in the industry in terms of what new technologies are people using and, you know, how are they finding opportunities to implement certain things. And so um, interestingly, by by speaking publicly, there's more you're finding more opportunities to, co- to connect with peers afterwards and really, you know, create those relationships um, and, and learn more, which can only help you um, continue to develop. Absolutely. The ability to connect with people just in- increases those um, serendipitous occurrences where you just you meet somebody who could be helpful or somebody um, gets wind of what you're working on that works well with what they're working on. Right. Exactly. I like I like your um, example of raising your hand and um, doing that more often to be able to pursue those types of serendipitous relationships. Could you Describe that a little bit more, just kind of how you've raised your hand more throughout your career. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i been offered quite a few opportunities, I will say, to speak and, and you know, by various organizations. And so for me, it's been more direct. You know, if somebody approaches me, maybe earlier on in my career, I, I would say, no, I'm not interested in doing that. And so it, it's pretty, it, it's as simple as, a, as, a, as it sounds, where it's just saying yes more often. And, and even if you don't feel fully prepared, you know, get out there, use it as an opportunity to force yourself to put your notes together, rehearse, you know, before you get up there, you know, have a friend or a peer listen to what you're going to say, and then, you know, just get out there and do it. It can be scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's the, only, that's the only way to get better at it. Exactly. That's awesome. So we've touched on so many valuable nuggets for somebody who's interested in getting into the industry of green building and also kind of what the day-to-day work looks like and the types of initiatives you're working on, which really inspire getting into that type of work. Do you have any overarching tips or where to start for somebody who might be listening to this and thinking that they really want to work in this type of field, but just aren't there yet? Yeah, I would say reach out to people that are in those roles that you might want to get. People are generally very collaborative and willing to share. You know, people like to talk about themselves. So reach out and ask, you know, connect with those people on LinkedIn and and ask them, you know, pointed questions so that you can learn what you need to know. Um, you know, I think there's a lot out there in terms of, you know, what you can read and learn about ESG and sustainability. There's so much happening in, in the world and in the news right now. So certainly stay on top of, you know, news stories and things like that so that you can really understand the context for it. And then I think, like I mentioned before, you know, if you're already in a role and you're trying to transition, find those opportunities where you can create impacts from where you sit today, you know, find out what's really important to your organization. And maybe they haven't set a goal, but start doing some research on, you know, what if we set a goal and how would we measure it? And what, what do we already have in place and, and really use that experience to demonstrate and, and maybe it won't work in your current role to be able to transition to that job, but having that experience would allow you to put that on your resume and say, you know, I've actually, you know, I've been able to, do the work to identify um, where we can make change. Here's the process that I use. Here's how I demonstrated results. And all of those things um, can really lead to the next opportunity. Become that subject matter expert, right? Exactly. That's yeah. that's such great advice. Start from where you are. If you're already in a certain industry and have the opportunity to potentially influence your company to set a goal or to look at changing a process that would make a difference, that's a great starting point, right? 
Agreed. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for sharing your time and your insights with us today. I'm very confident that a lot of people get value from this discussion and you've shared so many interesting examples of what you're working on and it's really inspiring. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.